Looks like it is happening right now. So I want to uh, congratulate all of you that are Christians that came out this morning and to brave this. <clears throat> My wife is headed up to Denver this morning. She is speaking at a church there in Denver. I don't actually know what church now that I'm processing this. But uh, so I, she was kind of excited about leaving in this this morning. But she sends her greetings, I guess. I just made that up. She, I don't think she cared about you guys this morning. She just headed out uh, like she didn't, like none of you were important. So uh, I think we have some pictures this morning, do we? Have some pictures? Uh, this is a lady in, in um, I believe this is the village of Horioka. It may be one of the others. Uh, there's about six villages right now that our pastors are going to. They're in India. And uh, this lady asked them, to pray for her, and then she uh, accepted Jesus, and they prayed for her, and um, expecting her to be healed. And at her at her admission, there is thing that she feels like God has touched her body. I don't know if she's using the term healed. Um, sometimes there's a little bit of a a um, loss in translation kind of thing. Uh, but they are they are definitely getting opportunities to go into these villages and uh, talk to different people and pray for them. And they're starting to make some major inroads, not just. At first, it was just, it's nice to have you guys here. Can, will you want to come eat dinner with us, which is a polite thing to do if, if you come to their village. But um, now they're getting to pray with people. They've had the opportunity to show the Jesus video um, in, I think, uh, like seven or eight different settings in four or five different villages. And this is at the invitation of the people in the village. And uh, it's, just, it's just really, really solid. We're starting to get in there. We got some more <clears throat> pictures are coming through. This is another family. In fact, this whole family, uh, from what I understand, this whole family at, got, uh, prayed to accept Jesus as their Savior. And uh, this is Santosh, obviously, our pastor on the, on the right there. So um, they're, really, they're really getting in there. They're really, really doing this. Another picture. <clears throat> so I wanted to show this one just, just because this means, um, this means a lot to more to me maybe than, than uh, you guys will understand. But so the guy on the far right here that you see in the front, that's Bashir. He is the pastor that's a couple hours away that we asked to be kind of a mentor to the guys, and now he's coming down, his wife's a nurse, and they're doing medical clinics. Uh, they've actually got a doctor now that's coming down with them doing these medical clinics. We're having about 40 to 60 people at each one of these clinics. We're having um, three or four a month right now. And so, so this is Bashir. He is he's, and he's an amazing guy, wonderful pastor, um, I, I spoke in his church one of the times we went. Okay, now, the, the, and that's his wife right there. Uh, the two guys on the other side of the table, the one on the very far left, is you've seen his picture before, but you probably don't remember. His name is John Gear. Uh, he is the builder of the building. He's not a Christian. He's a Muslim. The guy next to him is Iqbal. He's our, he's our man in country. He takes care of everything for us when we go to... Um, to India. He is a Muslim. Both of these guys went with our pastor to go visit, two hours away, to go visit Bashir because Bashir has not been feeling well. Now you say, well, does that matter? That matters a lot. These guys are two Muslim guys that are going with our pastor to go pray for our other, one of our other pastors uh, so that God will strengthen him so he can get back to Ramper Hut and do the medical clinics. The, the Iqbal, the guy with the glasses there, his son just got married um, 
uh, about a month ago or something like that, but about a month and a half before that, he had a major neck surgery. He had a big tumor on his neck, and uh, they did the surgery, and Iqbal called us and was asking us to pray, and when our pastors went and prayed for him, he was praying, and they heard him praying in the name of Jesus. Now, he, he still uh, uh, professes to be a Muslim. He has not said that he's a Christian yet, but Muslims don't pray in the name of Jesus. So we, we really believe that somewhere along the way, he's given his heart to the Lord, but our pastors either are too shy to talk to him about it or whatever. When I get there, we're going to have a conversation. We're going to ask some questions. But these, both of these guys are just amazing guys, and God is working on both of these men, deep, deep levels, just working on both of these guys through, through our pastors and through all of this. It just, really, it just really warmed my heart that they went to visit our other pastor uh, to pray for him. So I think the other little thing we have is a little video clip. Okay, let's show a little video clip. That's not snow. <laughs> they don't know what snow is there. <laughs> Do you guys know who that is? That's little Devaj. He is now walking, and that's the first video uh, they sent because they're they're over in her family. It's a big long story. But he's, he's in Ramper Hut, so they sent the video to him, and he was excited and kept watching the video, and he sent it to me, too. So we wanted to let you know uh, he's walking now. So, Okay, so the pastor that you saw earlier, not the one sitting down, but the one holding the camera, that's Santosh's uh, son. Uh, he's the one. I named this boy. Uh, Devaj is the name that, that I gave them because, remember, they told me, I'm the man of God, so I have to name their children. <clears throat> so, um, uh, and, and the name means God has answered our prayers. And so, uh, or God has blessed us in our prayers. So, so that's him. Uh, he's obviously getting older and we're excited about it. Now, they have him all dressed up in coats and, and all this kind of stuff. But here's the thing with that. It's probably around 50 degrees. But that is horribly cold there. That is frigid. The other day when it was snowing here, I, took, I was Skyping with them. And I took my computer and I walked outside and it was snowing. And, they, and, and, and Pastor Santos just kept looking at it and he said, and that just covers everything? Yeah, covers everything. And then he saw the bus out there and he thought that was uh, full of people. <laughs> and he said, and the bus got stuck? And I said, no, the bus, is, the bus is just there. It's our bus. There's nobody in the bus. Um, but they don't, they've never seen snow. They've never seen snow. It doesn't get any, any colder than about 50 to the mid-40s, ever, and then about 120 in the summer. So, all right. So, um, <clears throat> enough of that. <clears throat> I am, um, you know, let me, let me throw this little disclaimer out here before I start speaking. This is uh, something that I've always thought and believed in. So, these are the kind of mornings when I go, huh? Um, I really believe that God makes sure, for the most part, I mean, there has to be a willing spirit involved with this, but I believe for the most part, God makes sure that the people that need to hear the message are in the building when the message is spoken. For the most part, okay, there's some qualifiers to that, but I, I just believe that. I don't know where I get that from. I, I can't really base that upon anything except just over 30 years, I've just seen certain people in certain moments in certain circumstances that um, I'll give you a, a small example without giving too many details. A few years ago, I was speaking about something, and I was using an example of somebody in the message, and I had actually written it into my notes, which I don't do that very often when I'm actually use a personal example. 
I wrote the exact thing that I wanted to say a couple sentences into my notes, and uh, the person that I was talking about who doesn't even live near here, nothing, for some reason, happened to be traveling through and, and was sitting in the service, and it wasn't a good example I was using. But it, but it greatly convicted them, and they, they worked through and got some things right with God that morning because of that. I, I just don't know how to explain those things. I mean, there's no, there's no reason that person should have been here. And here's the other thing. I was in the middle of giving the example when I looked up and realized they were sitting in the building. They don't live here. They don't live anywhere near here, hours from here. And it caught me off guard because I'm like, hmm, this is uncomfortable for both of us. It was about them. Yes. So, the reason I'm saying that is this morning I am preaching about sin. So, <laughs> all right. <clears throat> no, I, I really am, but I want to I wanna, I wanna look at this uh, a little bit. Um, so there was, there's this statement that was said, and it's been said a lot in church settings, and it became very popular about 20 years ago, 15 years ago, that time frame. It became very, very popular and became a way to talk about Sin. In fact, the very first person I ever heard say it uh, was uh, Ted Haggard when he was preaching at New Life right up the road here. Okay? Um, and let me just throw this out so we don't get confused where I'm going with this. I do not like the statement. I think it's a deception. Okay? I don't think it's an intentional deception. For the most part, I don't think it's intentional. I think it's a Satan deception that he tricked the church into going down this road and working down this road for, for uh, a long time. And the longer we went down this road, the more we embraced the idea behind the statement. And the statement was this, that any time a church, pastor, or anybody talked about sin, rather than talk about the eternal significance of sin or the, the uh, black and white of sin, and, and a lot of people will talk about how well, there's a lot of gray in the Bible. There's not that much gray in the Bible. There just really isn't, okay? We can fool ourselves into acting like there's gray in the Bible, but there's not. But rather than talk about sin, we would use a statement that was this, that sin is just not God's best for you. It's, it's an option you choose, but it's not God's best for you. God has something better for you. But here's the problem. When you say something like, it's just not God's best for you, and it became very, very common across uh, evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic church, very common. Anytime you talked about sin, you said it just wasn't God's best for you. And they took this from a scripture. They were uh, using this, I believe, liberally. The scripture that talked about sin, that it's missing the mark, that that's the definition of sin. It's like a target. It means missing the mark. So that means you didn't really hit the mark by not sinning, but you still kind of were on the target, right? You just didn't hit the center. You just didn't really get where you needed to be but sin isn't that bad. Now, now, nobody would have verbalized it this way, but this is what they were saying. Because it's easier to not address the, the, the eternal significance of sin, the, the devastation of sin in our existence. It's easier to kind of sugarcoat the edges and make it a little more embracing and comfortable for people so that we don't actually have to deal with our sin. It makes it easier. And so we would say, well, you just didn't hit the mark. 
It's just not God's best for you. And what happens is over 20 years, 30 years, we're using terms like that. We're using terms like that. And it so waters down the reality that sin is the destructive force that Satan has set about on this earth. That sin is Satan's plan to destroy you. Now take the statement, it's just not God's best for you, and line that up with John 10.10, and you're going to have to change the verse. Because it says Satan is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. Not slap, push, or knock down. But steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy you. He wants to hurt you at every single level. Anything in your life that has anything to do with God, he wants to destroy that. And sin is how that happens. It doesn't happen any other way. Sin is what tears us down. Sin. Sin is what started this whole thing in the Garden of Eden and, and is still continuing today. It's our desire to do something that goes outside of what God has told us. It's, it's worse. It's way, way worse than just not God's best for you. Okay? Now, with that, I was thinking about some balances here. <clears throat> the concept of sin and eternity. The concept of grace, forgiveness, free will, accountability. How, how all of these things uh, work out in our life. And so Psalms chapter 90. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the first part of Psalms 90. We're going to jump to the end. Uh, uh, verse 7 here in Psalms 90. Um, we wither beneath your anger. This is, this is the psalmist talking to God. We wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. This is, these are, the, the Old Testament is packed full. And by the way, there are scriptures like this in the New Testament too. But the Old Testament is packed full of sentences like this. And for some reason, we think that God doesn't get angry with us. I had somebody ask me that question this week. And I'm on a, I'm on a, a phone call uh, with them. They don't live around here. And they said something like, do you think God gets irritated with us? And I said, God gets way more than irritated. Irritated is a very calm way to say what God gets with us. Sometimes God gets so angry at us, he says things like, I w I'm just going to destroy them all. God says stuff like that. And then people like Moses step in and say, now God... If you destroy them all, this is literally one of his arguments. God, if you destroy all of your people, the Egyptians are going to think you're a bad guy. Right? That's, these are the kind of languages. So, we, so we, we've convinced ourselves, because we have grace, because we have mercy, because we have forgiveness, because we have the blood covering, we think that somehow we can do what we want, when we want, and God doesn't care. God doesn't care. I mentioned this about six months ago, that, that uh, this is, there was a bunch of statistics I had read about um, millennials and uh, Christian, millennial Christians, over 60% of all millennial Christians believe that God does not care if they have sex outside of marriage, that that doesn't mean anything. It's irrelevant. Well, where do you arrive at that conclusion? Where, where do you get to that? Where in Scripture 
Do, do, does, does it say anything close to um, God has changed his mind about a lot of sin and things are now much more okay than they used to be? I had a pastor friend of mine that used to say that a lot, but he would say it about um, things that the church had created, right? Um, things like, uh, I know some of you, unless you're older, unless you grew up in Pentecostal, you don't know what I'm talking about here, but, but back in the day, like my parents teenage years, my grandparents' time, things like going to high school football games were a sin. Roller skating was a sin. Roller skating, roller skating was a sin. Now think about what I'm saying. Just get you some roller skates and go out today and see if anybody thinks you're normal. Okay, so the idea, that's why, you know, rollerblades now, but the idea that that, and so my pastor friend would always say, well, you know, that used to be a sin, but God changed his mind. It was a joke because the church had created all that stuff. But what we do know, hopefully, hopefully, guys, we're all on the same page with this. God does not change his mind about his word, and he does not change his mind about what's sin or not. He doesn't. He doesn't do that stuff. That's, that's, that's human beings trying to deal with our desire to do something and get away with it and somehow make God okay with it. Which, which this is my, my deal with that. I've had this conversation with many people over the years. If you want to do something, just do it. Don't bring God into it. Just do it. You're going to do it anyway. Don't try to justify it by God and His Word. Just do it and say, I'm sinning. Everybody knows you are, including you. Just do it. It's a lot less hypocritical. Just, just be bold enough to be you. Now, so there's no confusion, because when I was a youth pastor, I used to say things like that, and the teenagers would go home and tell their parents, um, Pastor Scott says we can sin anytime we want. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, now let's look at this again. He says, verse 8, you spread out our sins before you. And this is very important, because this is one of the things I want to focus on. You spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath. Ending our years with a groan. This idea of secret sins. I stumbled across this. I, I, don't, I, I was about 25, 26. I'd never really noticed this before. I had just, I was in the process of becoming a pastor and I was reading from youth pastor to pastor. And I, I was reading this and this, this sentence caught me. Our, your secret sins. So here's the question. Who are you keeping these sins secret from? If they're secret sins, that's the term it uses. Who are you keeping these sins secret from, or who are you hiding these sins from? Now, obviously, you cannot hide your sins from God, but, but I believe that we think we can. I don't, I don't think we rationally think we can, but we just live and act and think like we can, that somehow God's not going to see this. That God's not going to see, if, I, if, I'm, if, if, if I'm under the roof, God can't see through the roof of a house. God can't see that. And we can come up with all kinds of scenarios where we put ourselves in circumstances we're trying to keep it from God. But here's some other layers that I've, I've thought a lot about because I've, I've experienced this. I've processed this in my own life. Is I also believe that we try to keep our sin secret from our own self. And this is where, this is where we play games with ourselves where I, I talked a little bit about this last week, about justifying. It's amazing how we can justify just about anything we want to justify. We can explain it. 
we can process it um, enough that we can convince ourselves that we're okay, that we're good. And, uh, and, and people will help us with this, guys. People will help us. I, I mean, greatly help us. Only thing it takes is, um, I'll give you one example. I'll give you 50. I'll give you one example. You have a mother that cares deeply for her child, and her child gets involved in some type of sin. doesn't matter what it is. It's amazing how quickly that mother can be tempted, and even because I've seen this, even start justifying the sin that their child is involved with because they just can't draw an emotional mental line that says, no, that's a sin. Start justifying it. Right? Anybody else seen that besides me? You'll see this all the time where you're justifying it. In fact, you'll see it in your own heart and life. You'll start justifying it. And I'm talking about all kinds of sin, all kinds of stuff. And, and I've heard people say it like this. Um, well, this is what they're doing, but you know, they got a good heart. What does that even mean? What does that mean? They got a good heart. But what are they doing? What, what are they actually doing? Because that's really who they are. It's not, it's not the, the persona that they put out there. It's, it's what they're doing. It's, that's who they are. But we try to justify. We try to... Try to Make this secret. We tell ourselves, if you tell yourself something enough, you'll start believing it. We try to hide it from God. We try to hide it from other people. And you can hide things from other people for a while. The closer they are to you, the more difficult it is to hide for a long time. Unless that person uh, wants to close their eyes to this too, then you can hide it from them forever. Because they don't want to deal with it either. Secret sin. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. So let's go down to verse 15, because by the time he gets to the bottom of Psalms 90, he is, he's, he's, um, he's repenting to God and, and asking God to, to um, be back in relationship at some level. And he says, give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. I like the way he says that, because I've thought about that before. God, as rough as it has been for me during whatever this season or what, God, make it just as as um, uh, wonderful on the other side, in the same proportion to how bad it's been. Now, I don't know, I don't know if there's any scriptural legitimacy to that, okay? We'll take, we'll take verses, uh, like the last part of the book of Job, where it says God blessed him seven times um, back, right? Uh, seven, blessed him seven times in sevenfold, you know what I'm talking about, uh, blessed him back. But here's the thing with me that always gets me in that sentence, because I've had people explain, well, see, God blesses you seven times greater at the end of the difficult effort, so it's all okay. Except remember that one of the things that happened to Job is he lost all of his children. So you're saying to me that if he has seven times more children, that that's being blessed? Seven times greater? Are you following my train of thought? You can, you can love those, I don't know, 35, 40 more kids. You can love them greatly, okay? But at the end of the day, you still lost kids. That never leaves. That never goes away. That there, there's, there's always something in your heart. There's an emptiness in your heart there. It never, ever goes away. So is that God blessing you back? Well, obviously God's blessing you, but to somehow say, well, it makes up for all the difficulty, that's not, I don't think that's a true statement. I don't think it works that way. I don't think 
So when he says this, it, it catches me a little. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. I, I think that's possible, but I think they're separate. I don't think they're the same thing. And, and when God is blessing us, it doesn't take away the difficulty and the emptiness and the pain and stuff that can go before. Sometimes it can, but I don't think that's just a, a carte blanche that says everything is good. I think you still struggle with stuff. I think you're still processing all these kind of things. He continues, replace the evil years with good. Now, I like that statement. Um, I, I, I had evil years. I'm probably the only one in here, but I had evil years. And I really have seen God replace my evil years with good years. I've seen God do that. And I think it, you can't be a Christian very long at all before you can start seeing that in your own life. Where, where there used to be the evil, there used to be the junk, used to be the stuff. And, and God says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to, if you'll just turn to me, I can turn this around. And, I, and, and it's amazing to me how quickly God can do that. And put your life on the path toward him. And all the junk that you did before, you can start seeing that multiplied in, in, in presence of God and, and power of God and uh, intimacy with God and blessings and forgiveness and all this other kind of stuff. He says, <clears throat> let us, your servants, see you work again. Let our children see your glory. Again, this one resonates with me. I'm sure it resonates with, with many of you. That one of the big things as I started having kids, one of the big things that I began to pray was, God, please, please don't let my kids go through the stuff I did. I'm saying the decisions I made, not, not like life and things like that. Your kids need to go through difficult circumstances, okay? Your kids need to have failures. They need to have all of this kind of stuff. It's called life, and it's healthy for them. It's good for them, uh, all of this kind of stuff, right? That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, 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 the sin decisions that you make. You don't want your kids to go through that. Now, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling how they can walk in exactly your footsteps, right? You, 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 you pray, you teach, you guide, you do all this, and they, they, they literally will put their foot right where you did, and it looks exactly like what you did. It's, that's, that's a scary thing. But you can also see at the exact same time, you can see when they're putting their foot right in there that the grace of God comes in in a, in a different way than with you and God can do some stuff with them and keep that footstep from being as devastating as it was for you. I've seen that. I've seen that with all of my kids. And, and, I, and I've also seen it with other people's kids. I was about to say some of you, but, but that's not what I'm talking about. Verse 17, may the Lord our God... Show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. He repeats that because he's, he's coming to the end and, he's, and he's, he's catching this. It's catching in his spirit. At least that's what I think is going on. May the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. He gets pumped about that because he starts realizing that's God's plan. 
That's what God wants to do. From the very beginning, God gets angry at us. He does because we do stupid things. We do selfish things. We do prideful things. We do sinful things. We do things that we know. We know we're not pleasing to him. We do this stuff. And God gets irritated. He gets frustrated. He gets angry. All these things. But when we turn our hearts back to him, it's amazing how quickly he can turn that back around and just being embracing us and forgiving us. That, that part is always um, uh, just, just confounded me. How quickly God just says, you know what, we're good. We're good. Now, now, you've dug yourself a hole that you may have to get out of. I don't think God just immediately gets you out of all the problems that you've had. I, I've had this conversation with many people uh, in jail and in prison. Where I, I, I can't tell you how many people I've prayed with in jail, prison, and after you pray, they look at you like, okay, so I'm getting out of here now. Nope. I can't get you out of here. You can't get you out of here legally. So you're going to be here. And there's this, but, but, but God should take care of me, rescue me. He just rescued you spiritually. The most important thing, he just redeemed you. He just set you free in your spirit. If you're serious, he just set you free in your spirit. But you got yourself in jail. Right? And we can see that in, obviously, non-physical jail, but a lot of things that we do. So... Here's, here's where we're going. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> the first thing is don't fool yourselves. This is, this is coming to this uh, secret sin kind of thing that we, we try to hide from people, we try to hide from God, and we try to hide from ourselves. The idea of sin, that sin really will mess with you. Don't fool yourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Now, we're going to read down through a list here. And this is interesting to me that this list, sometimes we just leave certain things off this list. There's three or four of these lists majorly written out in Scripture that we just pretend don't exist. I'm only reading one list here. There's, there's another one in Galatians that's just as strong. But he says, those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality. We just had a church, uh, an Assembly of God church, in uh, South Texas that just uh, came out and took a very strong stance, a public stance, that they don't believe that homosexuality is a sin. This is just one of our churches. Guys, you understand we're one of the more conservative groups in the United States, right? Like the UPC are about the only more conservative than us because they don't wear makeup. That's about it, you know? And we're fairly conservative. And, and they came out and said this, and so now the district has to get involved because they have to take these pastors' papers. You can't, stay, you can't stay in our fellowship if you believe that way. But you just can't. You're not allowed to. You have to sign a piece of paper at the end of the year every year that says, you believe these things, and you will preach them. I sign that every year. And, and I've, I've said that to people before, and they're like, well, that's... That's kind of narrow-minded. They can't make you do that. You're right, they can't make me do that. They cannot make me sign that. But I can't make them keep my papers. There's a, there's a balance here. They can't make me do anything. But if I'm going to be a symbol of God, and I'm going to hold a card, I, I have it somewhere, I don't actually keep it in my wallet, but a card that says I'm ordained with the assemblies of God, I have to adhere to the fellowship's beliefs. And this is one of them. Or practice homosexuality, 
or are thieves. And here's where it gets a little, as it gets down to the bottom of the list, they seem to get easier, smaller, not that big of a deal. But I don't think that Paul is taking them differently. He says, or thieves, or greedy people. How many Christians will point at somebody that's practicing homosexuality and talk about how horrible they are, but they're a greedy person? And it says here, these people, let me, let me go back to verse six, uh, 9. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not fool yourselves. Greedy people, drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Um, Marcus Roberts put this great little thing on Facebook uh, a couple days ago or yesterday. I don't remember when it was, but he said he went into a 7-Eleven, tried to buy a big gulp. It was like 75 cents. He gives the guy a dollar. The guy is supposed to give him back a quarter. He gave him back four quarters, which is a dollar that he gave him. And, and Marcus said to the guy, um, this is not my change. You gave me four quarters. I'm only supposed to have one quarter back. And the guy at the counter said, I don't care if you don't care. I've been trying to get Marcus to tell me which 7-Eleven this is. I want to go buy a Big Gulp, but I need to make some money. But here's the thing. So does Marcus just say, oh, okay, you're right. I don't care. and Walk out with those four quarters. See, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what that guy behind the counter thinks. It matters what God thinks and what he puts in Marcus's spirit. Hey, this is wrong. It doesn't matter whether Marcus can justify it or the guy can justify it or anything. That's cheating somebody. That's stealing. It doesn't matter whose fault it is. It's stealing. And if he walks out of there with 75 cents, I have literally thought this in my head because you, you, this will happen to you. You'll get the wrong change in your favor. Right? You, I've had that happen to me. You've had that happen to you. You get the wrong change in your favor. If you keep that, that's stealing. That's cheating. Is, is your soul worth 75 cents? Really, is your integrity worth 75 cents? Well, let's say it was $75. Is your soul worth $75? What about $75,000? Is your soul worth $75,000? What about 7.5 million? You, you see where I'm going. At what point is your line drawn? You go, I'll keep that. That I'll keep. Because the amount is insignificant. It's, it's your soul. It's your spirit. It's your relationship with God. And he says here, or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But to me, it's not, it's not worth it. Whatever, whatever something that you gain on this earth, that Satan tries to convince you it's worth it for whatever you're doing, when Satan tries to convince you, well, it's, it's good, it's worth it, just go with it. It doesn't matter. Is it, is it really worth it? I'll tell you something I've been processing. This is, this is way outside the box of thinking, but, but it has been in my head. And I'm trying to figure out how this works like in the real world kind of thing, Okay. Um, there has been a, a crazy rash. If you, if, you, if you are not a Jeep owner and you don't 
or you're not on Jeep forums and stuff like that, you don't know this is happening. But I'm on about five or six different Jeep Facebook forums, all kinds of stuff like this, right? There is a rash of Jeeps being stolen all over Colorado Springs and Denver. Like uh, right now, it's, it's averaging about two a week that posts it. That doesn't include the ones that are not posting it. And they'll put their picture on there and say, this, my Jeep was stolen last night. Jeeps all over Denver and Colorado Springs. I have noticed over the last six months that on all these Jeep forums, there's a lot more availability to Jeep parts. Specifically, newer Jeep parts. Hmm. These are obviously, they're, they're, they're um, cutting these Jeeps up and they're selling the parts. That, that's very obvious what's going on. So here's my question. I need some of these parts. Why? Because I own a Jeep. That's why you need parts. But a lot of these parts are hot. I know they're hot. They have to be. You just can't trace them. Because they're a sway bar or a, or a drive shaft. Or, so you can't trace that stuff. I don't know. I just, I'm leaving that there. I don't know what to do with it. The first thing, don't fool yourselves. Don't fool yourselves. Guys, don't ever get to a point where I'm saying for your own self. I'm not saying the church you go to, the, the spiritual leaders you look up to, all of the things, the categories. I'm saying just in your own spirit, don't fool yourselves. Sin will take you out. And it is Satan's desire that you don't take it seriously. That you don't take the reality of sin seriously, the, the finality of sin, the, the, eternal, the eternal significance of sin. Satan doesn't want you to, to consider any of that stuff. Don't fool yourselves. The second thing is don't trample on Jesus. I, I was going to say, I changed this thing like three or four times, back and forth, back and forth. And I actually, the, the point originally was going to be, don't trample on Jesus' blood. Don't trample on what Jesus has done. But let's read the scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, it says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. If anybody ever tells you that they believe in unconditional eternal security, show them this sentence. There no longer, no longer is there sacrifice. There used to be sacrifice for your sins, but you continue to sin. You are being forgiven. You continue to sin willfully. Now there's no longer forgiveness for your sins. There's no way you can believe in unconditional eternal security with that. No possible way. No longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Now he says... There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. If somebody says they don't believe in hell, show them this sentence. If you don't believe in a literal hell, then what is God talking about here? If, if, if you're saying literally, I don't believe in hell, what is, there's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment. What is that? What is God's judgment? And then he follows it up so there's no confusion. And the raging fire that will consume his enemies. If there's no hell, what is he talking about here? For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. 
Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God. That's why I kept changing. I would put Jesus and then I would change it back to, because I was having a hard time in my head. Maybe it's not the same for you, but I was having a hard time in my head saying the statement, don't trample on Jesus, like you could do that. It was the the, um, potential of that that was bothering me. How can you trample on Jesus? But that's exactly what he says. That's exactly what he says. You're not just trampling on the blood of Jesus. You're trampling on Jesus. Because I, don't, I, I think what he's saying, the reason he puts it like that, is because there's not a separation. You can't trample on the blood of Jesus without trampling him. You can't trample on his grace without trampling on him. He is grace. He is mercy. He is forgiveness. So if you're trampling on those things, you're trampling on him. Not on something that he gives you. Remember, he doesn't give you grace. He is grace. So if you're trampling, you're trampling on him. He says again, just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy, as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. This is one of the things that um, the church 50 years ago, I think um, had a much better grasp of or handle on or or respect for than we do today. I think there has been some benefit to to where we've come to in some of this, but I think there's a lot of not benefit. The idea that that Jesus really is sacred and and his blood is sacred and what he says is sacred and we shouldn't just take it casually. We shouldn't make little jokes about it. We shouldn't, we shouldn't, um, Pretend like it's no big deal. This is the Son of God. Um, when I was growing up, I would get in trouble if I said, like somebody said something, and I said, jeez, I, I, I better be ducking. I've told you guys before, now, many of you have now met my mom. Her arms are this long. But man, they're like a little snake, you know, and you just don't even see it. You just got a hand mark on your face like, you seven feet over there. How'd you do that? I wasn't allowed to say those kind of things. Gosh, I wasn't allowed to say that stuff. Uh, what's his name, the comedian? Um, Hawkins? He talks, he has a whole song about this, and it's hilarious because it's true. All of the little cuss words we create in the church because we can't say the real ones. So we create these fake ones. And as my mother used to always tell me, but God knows your heart. You can say it any way you want, but God knows your heart. Now, I would argue that sometimes you're saying that stuff and your heart's not wrong. I I get that. At the end of the day, this really is about a heart issue. But at some particular point, you can't get away from the list I just read. It doesn't matter where your heart is. If you're doing those things on the list, that just shows your heart's not where you say it is. It can't be. <clears throat> if we have treated the blood of the covenant, which has made us holy, as if it were common and unholy, we can't play around with grace. We can't play around with forgiveness. We can't play around with holiness and, and the, 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 the purity of Jesus and the and the uh, respect that is due him. He's the king. He is the king of everything. He's not just my buddy. All this, I know I pick on this one 
Nobody says this anymore, but they did 15, 20 years ago, and it irritated me so bad, it's still hanging with me. When there was this big thing that came out, people had it on t-shirts, it was on bumper stickers, everything. Jesus is my homeboy. I hated that. Jesus is not your homeboy. He is the transcendent king of everything. And he deserves our respect. When you boldly, as, as Romans says, when you boldly come into the throne room of God, it better be on your face. You can come in boldly because he's given you the access. And you should have confidence in your spirit that he's not going to chase you away. But there better be enough respect and humility on your behalf that you come in with your face bowed before the king. Boldly, but respectfully. And, I, and I, I've heard preachers say this. I was involved in this context for a while. Where they say, you can just demand God to do this. And he has to do it because his word said, God didn't have to do anything. Don't, don't ever, ever get to the point where you think God has to do anything. He can change his entire word if he wants to. And he has the right and the authority and the ability. He is the king. I've got to respect it. Don't, don't trample on Jesus. Don't trample on, on what he's done. And the third one is chase truth. Hebrews chapter 2. So we must listen very carefully to the truth. We have heard, or we may drift away from it. Who's he talking to? He's talking to, to, to Hebrew people, godly people, Jesus-fearing people. He's talking to the church. And he says to the church, listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. Are any of us in here susceptible to drifting away from God's truth? Every one of us. Every one of us is susceptible to this. Guys, this is why you have to be in the Word of God yourself. You've got to be in there all the time. And you've got to be pursuing God, pursuing God, pursuing God. Because you need this. You need God's presence. You need, and sin is what takes this away from us. Sin is what hurts us with this. I, I was at <clears throat> the dentist. Um, I don't go to the dentist. Uh, it, it was like 25 years between dentist visits for me. And uh, my teeth are great. The dentist says, hey, your teeth are great. I'm not making that up. And, uh, but I went to the dentist, and he happens to go to our church here. I won't tell you his name. Um, but, but when I was sitting there, Asher started taking this. <clears throat> I think it was an ice pick. He started taking an ice pick and just jamming it into my gums, just stabbing me in the gums, repeatedly stabbing me in the gums. And a few places in my gums started bleeding. Because he was stabbing me with an ice pick. And then I said to him, Asher, um, my gums are bleeding. He said, yes, but that's your fault. Because you haven't flossed. And I said, interestingly, when I came in here, I hadn't flossed, but my gums were not bleeding. So I think it's your fault. And he said, it's not. You should floss. So here's the thing that I processed over time. Because I think this is a great example. When God starts poking our life with his presence and his grace and his conviction, and 
His holiness. And he starts getting into our life. And the reason he's doing that is because we're asking him to be closer to us. As he gets closer, just the, the presence of God, the holiness of who he is begins to poke at areas of our life. And those are very sensitive if we, if we haven't flossed. If we've got sin in our life, those areas become very sensitive and we don't want the Lord to deal with that. And we will justify all the stuff. And then uh, when our spiritual gums start bleeding, we get upset at God. And he's saying, only thing I'm doing is revealing the sin in your life and you don't want to deal with it. The Lord's not trying to hurt us. I think Asher was trying to hurt me. I'm just saying that. But the Holy Spirit's not trying to hurt us. He's not. But when he starts getting into our lives, it immediately starts exposing the sinners, and those are very raw. And we start justifying it. We start, we start justifying, well, I can watch that, or I can listen to that, or I can say that, or I can go there, or I can do that. And it starts, we, we talked about this a little bit Wednesday night when, when uh, Vice President Pence made his statement a couple years ago that he does not go anywhere uh, to, to dinner or something like that with a woman by himself. He always makes sure his wife is there. And the media ripped him apart. How he's misogynistic, he's a jerk, all this other kind of stuff. He's not mature enough to be in a, in a public gathering with a, a single woman there. Just tore him apart. And somebody, I don't remember who it was Wednesday night, that said the reason that it, that it bothered the media so much is because it exposed their weaknesses. It exposed their sinful hearts. It exposed their sinful nature that wants to try to play the edges and do the things they're not supposed to. And somehow, when, when Pence... Tell me, tell me one legitimate woman on the planet that would say they don't like that mentality from their husband. One woman. Just name one legitimate wife that's going to say, no, I love it when my husband goes on dates with other women. But we... we we, we, don't want, we don't want the Holy Spirit poking around in our life because it's sensitive when there's sin there. So guys, to leave this with us, anywhere, anywhere in our spirit or heart, we, just, we don't want the Holy Spirit to talk about it. We don't want somebody else to talk about it. Somebody like me or, or somebody in your life that begins to bring something up and you don't want, to, you don't want them to talk about it. You don't want them to talk about it. That's, your gums are bleeding. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. So we must listen carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message of God delivered through angels has always stood firm. And every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. We have to know this sentence. Every act of disobedience and every violation of the law was punished. And what he's saying is that has not changed. That is still the same. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. I want to end it with Psalms 91. I read Psalms 90 earlier. You read down, I only read parts of it, but it would be great to read Psalms 90 and then read Psalms 91. Psalms 91 is one of my favorite um, chapters in the whole Bible. It's just powerful. I memorized it years, years ago because it was so strong for me. And to me, it's the, I think it's like the entire uh, Bible, 
all in one chapter. But, but it's interesting, if you read from Psalms 90, and he's talking about the, the God's anger and all this stuff, and, and all the push, and then he goes straight into Psalms 91. Now, here's the thing I don't know, is I don't know how quickly he wrote Psalms 91 after he wrote Psalms 90. But it feels to me like it wasn't that long. Like maybe a few days later, he's been processing God being upset, and then at the end of Psalms 90, he talks about, God, you're going you're, you're gonna, to you're gonna bless us again. You're going you're gonna to cause the greatness to be as, as long as the misery and all this stuff. And then I think maybe, maybe, just a couple days later, he's sitting there and he's processing all this, and Psalms 91 comes out. And this is what he says. Verse 1, those who live, there's, there's three sections of Psalms 91. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the three sections. Verse 1, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Jump down to verse 9. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, if you choose that, do you live in the shelter? Do you make the refuge of the Most High your shelter? You decide that. Nobody else decides that for you. Verse 14, the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will rescue those who love me, and I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. And all of Psalms 91 is solid. All of Psalms 91. That he will, 10,000 at, uh, a thousand at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it won't happen to you. That, that, that you will be protected. You won't stub your toe. You will be protected. The, the Word of God becomes your shield and your buckler protecting you. All of this is flowing through Psalms 91. But the sections are, if you live, and if you're refuge, and if you love, then, then. That's our choice. And that's what saying no to sin is. Is God, I want you. For years and years, I thought saying no to sin was trying to convince myself that I don't want whatever that is. And then I realized, if I fall in love, in love with Jesus enough, I won't want what that is. It took me a long time to figure that out. That's why I thought for years that I was being cheated, because I didn't get to do all the things that the world was offering. Until I fell in love with Jesus enough to realize I don't really want all the things that the world was offering. I just used to think I did. I just used to think, you know, where I read earlier that one of the things that will keep you out of heaven is adultery. You know, one of the things that, that, that can set you on a path of success when it comes to adultery, just really fall in love with your spouse. Just really, really fall in love with them and be close to them. And you're still going to be tempted. There'll be those, those moments but get close to your spouse to where the, the, that they, he or she, is just with you at all times. And you would rather be spending two minutes with them than 20 hours with anybody else on the planet. And you'd be surprised at how the temptation of adultery does not get its claws in you. It just doesn't. Why don't you stand with me? This is, this is what I would like us to do. We've got a few minutes <clears throat> before uh, we, we are mandated to leave. Um, 
and probably quite a while before everybody gets here in the snow. So we got plenty of time. What I'd like us to do is just, I think this needs to be you, you and God. I don't think this is like a group thing we're going to do. And the reason is I'm going back to the secret sin thing. I think sometimes there's stuff, it may not even evolved into a sin yet in your life, but you know it's in your heart, you know it's in your mind, you know it's in your spirit, and it's kind of rolling around in there. It may already be all the way to the point where you've, you've taken a step you shouldn't, you've done something you shouldn't or whatever. But at any point, this, this can be quickly fixed by just getting before God and saying, Lord, I need you to forgive me. I need you to just wash me. Just let your Holy Spirit wash on me. I want to live in you. I want to have my refuge in you. And I want to love you with everything about me. And I just want to be there. And so that, that should always include repentance, always. But for you to, to just to find a place this morning, it may just be right where you're sitting or kneel down or whatever. Obviously, you can come to the altars, the front seats, whatever. But just find you a place and just spend a few minutes before you take off and just talk to God a little bit about specifically, Lord, I don't want any secret sins. I don't want any, I don't want to lie to myself. I don't want to fool myself. I don't want to trample. I don't want to trample on you, Jesus. I don't want to chase after you everything that I am. So I want to pray for you and then it'll just be an open time. You can you can take off if you need to or uh, find you a place to pray. Okay, God, we, we come before you. We just submit ourselves to you. Jesus, you're the king. Jesus, you're the king. Lord, I don't want to ever take you for granted. I don't want to ever take your, your grace for granted. I don't want to try to fool you or fool myself. Lord, I ask you just to wash me clean. Cover me with your blood, Jesus. Holy Spirit, get in every single area of my thoughts, my heart, my attitude. Lord, chase out sin, pride, rebellion, selfishness, greed. Chase it all away. Wash me with your blood. I pray that every one of us here, every single one of us, the Holy Spirit, you'll just convict us right now. Convict us so that we just pull in closer to you. Reveal the things that we need to change. Reveal stuff that, that's even on the horizon that, that you can see we're walking down those paths. In Jesus' name. Cover us with your blood.